Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. This is not just about music. This is about addressing the injustices in our society. Now it's time to organize formally and bring into the halls of Congress the power and the transformative nature of hip-hop culture. Our goal is to make sure the hip-hop community has a seat at the table as we work on federal policy. Oh, um... Oh, okay. That's 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 great, but what about country music? No, I'm asking you, Jamal Bowman, Congressman Bowman. Hip hop has to have a seat at the table. Sure. What about country? Uh, will the polka artists of America? Will they have a seat at the table? And will there be enough room for the accordions? What about smooth jazz? Does smooth jazz have any room at the table? We live in the most unserious of times. Tony Katz. <laughs> Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. That's I I I am I missing the context? where hip-hop has to have a seat at the table as we work on federal policy? That's the goal? You know what the goal should be, uh, Congressman Bowman? Making sure that veterans aren't homeless. I mean, if we're going to have a goal, the goal is, is, is one of two things. Veterans having homes or Lizzo having a say. These are your options. Pick one. Good God. By the way, if you say to me my choice is veterans having homes or Carrie Underwood having a say, it's still the same. Veterans get homes. As for your your polka artists, I don't know. I think you have to go back to the days of John Candy and Eugene Levy and talk about the Schmengi polka. And for some of you, that earwig is going to stay for the rest of the week. You're welcome. I take you to New York where very stunningly at St. Patrick's Cathedral, they allowed for a funeral to take place. It's a weird, weird story about this, this funeral that happened for Cecilia Gentili. Cecilia Gentili was a transgender activist. How in the world could a funeral have taken place for a transgender activist? Well, the the archdiocese said the cathedral didn't know what the future what the funeral would entail. They weren't told. They only knew that friends and family were request requesting a funeral mass for a Catholic. A thousand people showed up. More than a thousand people showed up. 
where if I have it right, they started referring to this activist in the church as, as the, I, I don't know what I'm allowed to say. The mother of all, um, you, somebody who takes cash for sex. Do you mean a prostitute, Tony? No, no. I, I mean, yes, but there's a, there's another name. It starts with a W and, uh. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know what the rules are of the stations that I am on that would allow this or not allow this. But they kept saying, ah, "I'm doing it." The mother of all horse, and they kept this great. That's the word they used. They called her great. This great W and this wonderful mother of all. That was that was the eulogy. Catholics are disgusted. They are apoplectic. The church is going to offer a mass of reparation. The transgender community is overjoyed. I think we should note that the transgender community is an abusive one. We're not talking about people who want a seat at the table. We're not talking about people who want to just live and let live. We're talking about people who want to abuse, who want to destroy, who want to humiliate, who want to attack. And if you don't celebrate them, you are the enemy. I am not celebrating any of this. And I would love to see the L, the G, and the B drop the T as quickly as possible because the T ain't okay. The T is abusive to children. The T has no respect for for Catholics, for religion in general, they only want to dismiss, they only want to destroy, they only want to denigrate. Don't tell me about, oh, the children. You don't give a damn about the children. Let's at least be on the same page here. You want to claim that you are something other than you are? Feel free. You want to claim that you're a woman when you're a man, you go right ahead. When you're an adult, you go right ahead. You're not. And how dare you ask us to lie for you, to lie to you, to lie for you, to lie to your friends, to lie to ourselves. It's disgusting. It's an obscenity. And of course it's destructive. But now you want to lie to the church and utilize the church to have a funeral that is mocking what it is that the church upholds. You can't just live your life, can you? You can't just live your life. Other people now have to celebrate your life or they suffer, and you have to insult the way other people live. They're not insulting you. They're not paying any attention to you. You want to go into where they are and insult them. And then when they say anything, you want to say, see, homophobe and transphobe, to hell with you. That's the problem. No one's told you to go to hell. No one called you the names that you are engaged in here. No one told you to kiss off. No one told you you're a punk. This is the problem. The problem 
is that you think that you can get away with this destruction of society and of culture and of rationality. And you're utilizing the social contract to do so. For a while there, nobody was paying attention to you at all. Really, it was just, it wasn't on the radar. And then it was on the radar. I was like, okay, there goes RuPaul. But that was drag. That wasn't saying that you were something that you weren't. Then it got into saying you were something you weren't. And we were like, okay, but that ain't right. And then you said, oh, by the way, our kids are trans too. No, they're not. But you desire to confuse them. You utilize schools, another reason to break the teachers union right in two. Oh, to hell with them, to confuse kids. You didn't want to let parents know. You want to culturally engage in confusion of children and then take children who were in a questioning spot and physically abuse them. Well, the answer is cut off your breast. The answer is take this drug. The answer is take these puberty blockers. And then you had the audacity to tell them it wasn't permanent. You lying, disgusting cretins. Of course it's permanent. Of course it changes them. Of course it damages them. And then you went about creating legislation that made parents decide that, well, I had to go along with this, otherwise I'd lose my kid. And now you want to lie to the church so you can humiliate the church and say, well, look at us. If the L, the G, and the B had any brains whatsoever, they would drop the T as fast as they could. Because the T, as it is being utilized, is not about people living life. It's about people trying to destroy lives. Tony, you're attacking children who are just trying to be their true authentic selves through surgery, through mutilation. Since when do we think that children mutilating themselves creates a better world? Well, Tony, kids have nose jobs. Yes, Little 15-year-old Rachel had a nose job. That's absolutely true. It was right after her bat mitzvah, and she'd only asked her mother for the past four years, and finally it was happening. The big nose job. And when Rachel got done with the nose job, you know what they called her? Rachel. And she looked a little different. Sometimes she ended up like Jennifer Grey, but nobody said a word. She was still our beautiful little girl, and she's going to find a nice young boy who hopefully will be a doctor pretty please. It was still Rachel, not Ray. Don't compare what is not comparable. Don't embarrass yourselves like you did at St. Patrick's. The social contract is what gets manipulated here. The social contract dictates, for example, that you don't hit a woman. I understand what that is. You don't hit a woman. By the way, you know why? Because men are not women and women are not men. There's a difference in the sexes. Just as a great reminder of how that works and comes to be. And then, of course, uh, all of the ways that comes to be culturally. 
There are women who have taken that to say they could do anything they want to a man. They could be as rude and abusive and aggressive and nasty. And what's going to happen to them? Because you can't hit a woman. It's an abuse of the social contract. The social contract is what stops people from running you over when you block traffic. But there you are standing up for some alleged whatever uh, uh, issue. And you don't care that people are getting to work or you don't care that people are getting to little Tommy's basketball game or you don't care about the ambulance. You're going to save the environment by blocking traffic. And people get out of their cars and they say, move, and they ask you to move, and they beg for you to move, and they yell at you to move, and you don't move because you understand that they're not going to run you over, and you're not going to have to hear your own bones pop when the tire heads right over your femur. You abuse the social contract. I reject this premise. People who abuse the social contract are not adherents of it, and neither do you have to be with them. People who block traffic should expect to get run over. I've been saying this for forever. And people who want to abuse children and think it's okay for children to mutilate themselves are not only wrong, but they are disgusting and they are despicable and they should be fought back against. And the so-called trans community that wants to abuse churches and churchgoers, they should be met with derision and disgust. Now, Christians are going to turn the other cheek. I don't think they should. I think they should look at the so-called trans community, this hateful group that it is, not because I said so, but because you said so. And they should say, we're disgusted with the way you treat us. Disgusted with the way you act. Shame on you. And we're not going to give you any credence anymore. And no, this church isn't for you. You want to abuse this place, to eradicate this place. The answer is no. Of course, some Christians are going to tell me otherwise. I get that. I understand. And I'm happy to debate it. But I am not willing to debate a so-called movement that isn't based on decency. And I'm not going to debate a movement that thinks it could take the L, the G, and the B for a ride. It's time for lesbians, gay people, and the bisexual to stand up and say, dude, I'm only talking about sex. Whatever this is, I want no part of. Put tea on the island it belongs on. And then let's be more proactive in protecting our kids. I'm Tony Katz. I want to tell you a story about the house in blue. I come home one Friday. Had to tell the landlady I done lost my job. She said, that don't confront me. Did you hear Charles Barkley, the NBA All-Star game, which just took place in my beloved Indianapolis? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. And Charles Barkley is taking heat for this. I, I, I didn't know that being honest was a, was a problem. Let me 
put this up right here. Hey, 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 Reggie. Yes? If you had a, if you had a chance of being cold or being around a bunch of homeless crooks in San Francisco, when you... Oh, Oh, God. That's so good. You can't even walk around San Francisco. Yes, you can walk around. Yeah, with a bulletproof vest. (sighs) It's not funny because it's true. The the very concept of perception and and how these 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 cities are viewed, you know, it goes back to something I, I I said earlier. San Francisco is not safe. People leave San Francisco because just like they leave California, it's just too difficult to live there. That's why. Part of it, I think, comes from. This idea of forgetfulness and allow me to relate this to something that took place a few days ago in Paris at a venue in Paris, the young people were chanting free Palestine opposed to the Israeli defense forces. And they have said they're going to get rid of Hamas. Good. I leave uh, for, for Israel in a little over a week. I'll be there for eight days. We'll be reporting back everything else. I'll have more to say on this in the days ahead. So there they are at this music venue in Paris chanting Free Palestine. <laughs> The venue that they are at is called the Bataclan Theater. Now, some of you have memories. In November of 2015, there were a series of attacks from Islamists in Paris. Suicide bombers outside the Stade de France. This was during a a soccer game. And then another group of attacker firing on cafes and restaurants in Paris. Someone detonated an explosive device, killing themselves in the process. Then there was a mass shooting and hostages taken at a concert. Eagles of death metal, 1,500 people inside the Bataclan Theater. So less than 10 years ago, Islamists like Hamas... We're murdering people. And less than 10 years later, here they are, the so-called smart young people cheering for Islamists. Um, life is uh, sometimes more uh, frightening than the fiction. The ignorance and the proud ignorance. I take a look at France and I take a look at how they've engaged immigration. You're going to get what you get and you're already dealing with it. What is important for us is to recognize 
maybe there's a way not to have this. And we should work more aggressively to not have it. This is Tony Katz today. knows how to throw a party. Indiana knows how to throw a party, people. That's who we are. Who's your people? Our party people. What up? Hey! When it comes to the NBA All-Star Weekend, look, we're built for this. We do this. We do this well, whether it's the NBA, whether it's Indy 500, whether it's Pick Your Sport, uh, the Super Bowl, this is kind of our thing. This is what we do. And yes, we do it better than the rest. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. The question is, what did we think of this NBA weekend? Did this weekend hit, well, the way we expected it to hit? Did Indiana, did Indianapolis come across the way, well, that we wanted it to? And what about the money? That might be a different story. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com. On the Xbox at IIB, at Gary Dick personally, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick. There's a bunch of stuff to get into outside of the the All-Star game, but economic uh, impact, what are we talking about? What are they looking at? And uh, what do we think the uh, results have been from this weekend? Yeah, I think high level, Tony. I think, uh, you know, 50,000 foot view. I think Indy knocked it out of the park. I mean, I really do. Uh, as they typically do, as Indy typically does for big events, be it the Super Bowl, Final Fours, you can go on down the list. So that's not much of a surprise, really. I think the expectation was it would be a great event. I think it was. Uh, $320 million is the estimated economic impact. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think. Maybe to your point uh, before, jury's still out. I think that impact, the true impact of what this all-star game uh, will be is maybe three or four years out. Steve Simon, owner of the Pacers, uh, ultimate governor for the team, uh, made the point on the show last weekend. He said that return on investment is down the road, the big return. You have the immediate dollars and cents that come into the economy. But in terms of the uh, the image-boosting results, talent attraction, those uh, business attraction, those types of things that may come out of this won't be known probably for two, three, four years uh, down the road. But I think just the high-level uh, look, how, how the city looked, how Gainbridge Fieldhouse, um, Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, how it all looked, I think, came across uh, very well to a to a, a global TV audience. 200, I think it's 215 countries uh, saw the game uh, over the weekend, so a big opportunity for uh, for the city. Yeah, I, I think that two things there that, that are interesting. Steve Simon's conversation, I think, is a, is a solid way to look at some of these things. We take a look at the now, but we have to take a look at what comes. What does the event mean for eyeballs that are looking at it that are planning other thoughts or planning uh, other conventions, other conferences, other events, and how does this kind of seep into their head almost in an inception uh, kind of way? And then there is... You know, for for all that the NBA All-Star Game is about, uh, the field house and the game that took place there, the impact of what Lucas Oil was able to do and kind of showing off that among stadiums, it really still is the creme de la creme. You can head out to Vegas all you want. Oh, yeah, beautiful mountains and some nice weather. But you actually want to get something done. Lucas Oil is the place to go. 
Yeah, yeah, no question about it. You know, you go back to the Super Bowl and you talk about longer-term impact. I remember having a conversation at the Super Bowl with the folks from Visit Indy, and they talked about, I can't remember the number now, it was five or six big, big convention uh, planners were in town for the Super Bowl. I think most, if not all, had never been to Indy before. And that visit ultimately translated, I think, into a couple of big events coming to Indianapolis that came you know, down the road. But again, the impression made during the Super Bowl. And I think the potential is there uh, for that kind of impact from the NBA All-Star Game. The Indiana Economic Development Corporation uh, invested some money to, to advertise around the game, but also to, uh, to entertain and to uh, connect with site selection consultants and some of the big-name companies in Indianapolis for the All-Star Game. So we'll see where that plays out uh, perhaps a little bit down the road. Talking to Gary Dick of InsideIndianaBusiness.com on the X Twitter box at IIB. I know that you actually spoke with Adam Silver, uh, the commissioner of the yep. NBA. I know he spoke at the Economic Club of, of Indiana uh, uh, event. I, I've, I've, I've belonged before. I, I've kinda, I dig the conversations that they have and, and, and what they're doing. It's just they're usually lunchtime conversations, and I've got a radio show. Yep. I don't get to, to, to go all the time. But from your conversation with Adam, Adam Silver. Uh, what was your t- take on their take regarding Indianapolis? And did you feel it was a lip service conversation? Because after all, you're there. Or was it a, yeah. hey, we should spend more time in this city? Yeah, you know, I had this great point. I did not feel as though it was lip service. It was just being nice. Uh, you know, typically you can you can spot that. I'm sure you can, too, when you do interviews. Uh, uh, folks, uh, you know, talking uh, in front of the mic. Uh, for me, it's uh, when the camera is on, they may say one thing and then uh, uh, say another uh, behind the camera. But I, I did not sense that whatsoever with Adam Silver, who has a, a, a very uh, strong affinity for Indianapolis. That's been very clear. He's called it. Uh, you, uh, no, he said no city does big events better than Indianapolis. You know, he talks about Vegas and some of those other big markets that do these do these events, certainly. But he uh, he feels very strongly about Indianapolis, and he has a, a very strong relationship and close relationship with Herb Simon. Uh, and that was very clear this weekend in, in some of his comments. Uh, but he talked about Indianapolis as a host city during that economic club uh, luncheon. And in his view, it's the collaboration, the cooperation that he sees here that is unlike any other city, Republicans and Democrats working together, uh, whether it's from the state standpoint or, or locally as well. So he uh, he's very high on Indianapolis. The NBA is. Question is, will some of these, some other events uh, come here? How about the in-season tournament that was in Vegas and that was a hit? A lot of people were confused about it. I was. I didn't know what the heck it was. But it turned out to be a pretty good event for the NBA. Will that come to Indianapolis. So did this set up, did the All-Star Game hosting this time around set up future events for the NBA? We'll see. Now let's uh, take a move towards talking about a larger impact on, on Indiana. You have the story that Congressman Mervan that's so that's up in the 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 first district uh congressional yep. district discussing the idea of bringing a hydrogen project which is planned for the BP Whiting refinery 
Now, the hydrogen power conversation takes us in a different direction in Indiana, right? Not just solar, not just wind. And and for the record, uh, the solar projects where Israel's investing, let them invest and let them build the panels. The wind turbines I find to be ridiculous. The hydrogen conversation is fascinating. What is Congressman Ravan saying about this? And is this a partisan project or is this getting bipartisan approval? Getting bipartisan support to be sure, Tony. And you, you bring out uh, the, the point that hydrogen, there's a lot of support for hydrogen production. You talk about the quote unquote green economy uh, and, and creating something, hydrogen, that can fuel some of these heavy industries, heavy duty vehicles. Cummins is in uh, to this in a, in, in a big way as well. But this hydrogen hub you're talking about, uh, and the congressman is talking about in northwest Indiana, there's a consortium, three states, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, came together to bid to the federal government to get money to create this hydrogen hub. The access to Lake Michigan, absolutely critical. You need water to do these kinds of things. And uh, Congressman Ravan made the comment that I think the number of six, 15,000 uh, uh, jobs will be created in terms of building this at the BP uh, Whiting Refinery. Uh, you know, several years ago when that refinery was undergoing a major transformation, $3.5 billion, I think. They had uh, construction and tradespeople working on that project. I think for six years, this impact potentially could be could be much greater. So Indiana positioned very well for this whole hydrogen move to hydrogen. you got a lot of companies. You've got BP and Exxon, and I mentioned Cummins earlier, number of big-time companies that are investing heavily in it. Indiana feels as though it's positioned really well uh, for that to happen. And Northwest Indiana in particular because of the access to Lake Michigan uh, really could be a primetime player. And that's the latest, uh, I think, in a series of things happening up there that you know really ha- hasn't happened up in Northwest Indiana for many years. You've got a billion dollars from the U.S. Department of Energy. You've got yeah. Representative Ravan thinking the private sector funding could reach up to $6 billion. I'd love to see how he gets uh, to that number. But this, again, part of our ongoing conversation, that the better the state does, the better for Indianapolis and forces Indianapolis Indianapolis to be uh, in, engaged in more competition with these other cities. Yeah. This is good for Indiana growth. Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com. I appreciate you taking the time. Always appreciate Gary Dick taking the time. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. Not a single one of us is alone in taking a look at some of the things that we do in America and asking, how does any rational person come to this place? What is the logic behind some of these inane and if not just flat out insane decisions? This is the the, the latest one, but it's not the only one. And if it was you and me and and the bar stool uh, sipping a bourbon, we could find tons of these. It's like in San Francisco, where they just uh, installed somebody who is not a citizen of the United States to oversee elections. Uh, it's, it, it strikes the ear as how, how does that work? How, how is that possible? This is in New York. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything happening over at TonyCats.com. I'd only appreciate it if you would. Now, you, you'll hear, oh, sure, it's it's a story about New York. You're like, of course it's crazy. But New York, oh, that that's not the case. 
it wasn't always a nutso place. It wasn't always criminally and clinically insane. That is that is absolutely not how things went for for a great number of years. It was a place of normalcy. And certainly one could argue, uh, after the world of David Dinkins, and you got to a world of Rudy Giuliani, never mind what you think of him now, I'm talking about him as mayor, that place cleaned up, that place had it together. And even in the days of Dinkins, even in the days of Ed Koch, this was there, there were issues and crime issues, all sorts of things. There wasn't insanity. There was an actual demand to do something about the crime as opposed to how dare you find people guilty of crimes? Don't you know that they're just oppressed? That kind of madness didn't play. In New York, they are now giving out cash payments to migrants who don't normally qualify. So what happened is the governor, Kathy Hochul, changed the safety net assistance program. This program that they have to help people, uh, uh, ostensibly, it's a welfare program. It is what it is what it is. And no, we shouldn't be proud of all the welfare programs we have. We should be asking ourselves why so many people need welfare. This would be the standard operating procedure. This would be normal. You don't judge a society based on all of its programs. I think you judge a society based on how many programs you actually need. So the rules got changed in May. And they allow non-citizens who have pending applications for asylum to receive benefits. This was a report from the New York Post, confirmed by the people over at Fox News. You can go confirm it for yourself. So these non-citizens who have pending applications for asylum receive benefits. So they're eligible for these payments. According to a spokesperson, a small portion of the 4.3 billion the governor set aside for the migrant crisis has been used for the payments. So noting or estimating, I should say, and here's the reporting, 90% of the current migrant population in the state would not be eligible for the benefits under the new rules. Why is anybody, they didn't pay in. So this is part of the insanity conversation. If you are a New Yorker, why would you accept this? Why would this be okay by you? Why aren't you saying this isn't right? Why aren't you saying how dare you? Why aren't you saying these people didn't earn it? These people don't deserve it. Citizens first. Now, someone might say to me, but Tony, that is inhumane. We're talking about children here. I don't listen to that conversation. Because that conversation is meant to stop a conversation, and I reject the premise. What about the children is a way of saying, screw these people. And these people are the ones who paid in. What about the children is clearly stating that you should not have a say. Others should not be able to speak out. Just take what it is. The Roosevelt Hotel is right now completely full of people who are here illegally or who have come across the border and waiting to have their asylum uh, applications processed and they got sent to New York. Whole hotels are full, being paid for by the taxpayer. Now you're asking New Yorkers 
to pay additionally by giving these people benefits that they shouldn't actually be eligible for, but the governor made a switch. And you say to me, Tony, this is what they voted for. This is what they get. (gasps) On this, we agree. On this, we wholeheartedly agree. This is the madness you voted for. You voted for Eric Adams. You voted for Kathy Hochul. You could have had Lee Zeldin. This is what you get. The question is, why do they accept it? Right? This is very much what happens if you're if you're at the zoo and you're watching an animal act in a certain way. You're like, why does it do that? What, is, what does it get out of that? What's the benefit? What do New Yorkers get out of this? What is the benefit? And how come they don't change? How come they don't change their mind, change their attitude, change their politics, change their philosophy, change their vote? Why is it that they never change? They clearly can see that this is madness, just like they saw when they they took James Madison High School. They said, sorry, no kids can learn today. It's cold. So all these migrant families are going to be living in here for a day. And parents said, how dare you? Did a single one of them change how they vote? Did a single one of them change how they donate their dollars? Did a single one of them, did a single one of them change anything about how they do anything to be able to get a different result? I don't believe that to be true. I don't believe they made any changes. I would be stunned to learn that they made changes. I'd be thrilled, overjoyed, but stunned. So that's the question that so many of us ask. How come they don't change? And the answer is, I don't know. But I think we should learn from that. And when politicos don't treat us right, and when the agency class wants to abuse us, I think we should change and not allow that to happen. Find everything at TonyKatz.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.